I'm Arlen Hamilton, and this is Your First Million. I'm a venture capitalist. I started my fund Backstage Capital from the ground up while I was on food stamps. I have now invested in more than 100 companies led by women, people of color, and LGBT founders. After having raised more than $10 million, people often ask me how I did it. I created this podcast so I could tell you my story and so that together we could go on a journey and speak with some of the most successful people in the world from all backgrounds and walks of life to learn how they got their first million. And who knows, maybe I'll reach my first million in personal capital while I'm recording this series. There's only one way to find out. Let's go. Welcome back to your first million. It's Arlen. This episode is a fantastic, or as I'm learning in my three-minute German classes, es ist fantastisch episode. <laughs> this is a fantastic episode. Chase Jarvis, who I mentioned, if you listen to the episode uh, that I just had with Chris Gillibo, you'll remember that I thanked Chase Jarvis for introducing me and Chris. And I've known Chase for um, probably a year and a half now. We, ha- we haven't been able to really nail down when it was we met, but he's just the coolest guy. He's so nice. And I've done two of his podcasts, two of his events, but he hadn't been on mine. And I just had to have him on to talk about his new book called Creative Calling. I'm having a lot of fun interviewing other authors now that I have my own book out. It's really helpful to, to have these conversations with people who have done it before me. So the new book, there's an incredible conversation uh, piece in this podcast episode and in his book about Richard Branson, which is one of my business heroes. There's a great story about a lot of things, actually, because Chase is the founder of CreativeLive.com, which many of you may be familiar with. Before there was Masterclass, before there was, I don't even know if it predated Udemy and all of those companies, but thousands and thousands of and millions probably of minutes of content for for creatives and for entrepreneurs and I've been a member for more than a year and I have been I've looked at videos from Richard Branson from Mark Cuban I think Mark Cuban I think that's where I saw him Lewis Howes uh, Mel Robbins has a great class on there really high quality too because Chase is as you'll hear in this interview a professional photographer. So all of it comes from that lens, no pun, but also pun. And just some great stuff. Even um, Alex Bloomberg from Gimlet, the the CEO and founder of Gimlet, did a great, really full-on podcast uh, class that I took as I was starting Your First Million. I don't even know if Chase knows that because I didn't have a chance to tell him, but I took that course just to have one more point of view about starting the starting the podcast and, and building it out. So lots of stuff you can find on Creative Live and then his book. He has a special for anyone who's listening to this, like as soon as it comes out, he has a $2.99 special for the ebook version for anybody who wants to to learn about the one chapter that he talks about in this episode or or wants to just devour this book with all of its information. It's an inspiring episode, and uh, it kind of goes a couple of places that you might not imagine when you listen to the first few minutes. It goes some interesting, interesting places. So, so check it out. I had a blast talking to Chase, and I know this episode will really help a lot of people. I could tell while we were recording it that it would help so many people, 
give themselves the freedom and the permission to do the thing they've always wanted to. And you know I'm all about that. So it was uh, was a joy, absolute joy to, to record this and to share this with you now. Thanks for being here, Chase Jarvis. Chase, just to start us off, do you want to just say what, how you identify? Are you what is your occupation? Where do you live? Et sure, um, lifelong creator and entrepreneur. Early in life, I did the things that everybody else wanted me to do, uh, and at some point, I had a realization that life is short, and that's when life really started for me. When I started to pay attention to that internal voice that we all have of how we should be spending our time, who we should be spending our time with, and what dreams we should be chasing. And I identify as a creator, a lifelong creator, um, the founder of a company called Creative Live, which is today the world's largest live streaming learning platform focused specifically for creators and entrepreneurs. It's where tens of millions of people go to learn from folks like Sir Richard Branson, Brene Brown, Mel oh Robbins, gosh. Lewis. Yeah. Yeah, Mel Robbins. A lot of the folks, if you pay attention to the internet, that you will see leading the conversations there are teachers on Creative Live. There's more than a thousand of them. We've got 2,000 some odd classes. Yeah, we'll um, talk a lot about about Creative Live too. Cool. Yeah. Uh, And and you are, first and foremost... I, oh yeah. My background is as a photographer. I bailed on, I, I bailed on medical school. I dropped out of a PhD in philosophy and quit a path to pro soccer in order to become a photographer, which if you're my parents, like they didn't know what happened. And if you're me, you're very, very happy. Uh, that's kind of what I meant earlier when I said, you know, I, I stopped pursuing the things that everybody else wanted for me, despite being, you know, a hundred thousand dollars in student debt. When I did that, it was the best move I ever made. Can I quote you? Of course. I'm going to quote you directly from this book, Creative Calling. So some people will be listening to this as a podcast and some people in class will be looking at this as a video. Your, Your new book, Creative Calling, you say, unquote, you summoned the courage to disappoint nearly everyone in your life to go into photography, into something creative. Explain exactly what that means to you. Oh, man. Um Culture has a plan for virtually everyone. And you have to look a certain way, walk a certain way, talk a certain way, follow a certain path. There's usually somewhat of a map. I call it a map that we are sold as young people. And it is if you hang out with the right people, if you look the right way and you go to the right schools and pursue the quote right path, then you will have joy and everlasting bliss and right off into the sunset, probably with uh, after 40 years of being employed, get the gold watch and everything will be hunky dory. And two things are true. One, for anyone who wants to follow that path, it's not me, but for anyone who does, the map that you're sold is wrong. It's fiction. And for the rest of us who are not interested in that path, what we're sold, that map also doesn't work. So we're in this place where our parents, our peers, our career counselors, our grandparents, um, our friends, spouses, partners often look to that this innocuous thing. There's no puppet master telling us what we do, but it's just this, the collective inertia of culture has told us those things. And sadly, we by and large buy that. Mm. And this map we're sold, you know, I reviewed this already. It's, it's largely, it's, it's not accurate because no one path who does want to do that 
looks like that. And for most of us, it doesn't serve our needs. And yet here we are, we find ourselves being drilled with that from a very, very, very young age. So when I say I disappointed nearly everyone in my life, I did. I had to recognize that that was the dominant paradigm. And then, you know, at the peril of disappointing my career counselor, my parents, my grandparents, my friends, and and so many people in my life who, who, for when I bailed on those three things to become a photographer, a dirtbag action sports (laughs) photographer, largely living out of his car, it was like a what? You mean you're not going to go to medical school? Who who wouldn't play pro soccer if given the choice? And for me, it just didn't make sense. And and the little takeaway there in disappointing everyone is what we don't need is maps and what we do need is a compass. And that compass is an internal compass that we're all born with. And it tells us who we are, helps us understand what we want to do. And the key is it's inside. It's not outside. All this external validation and pressure And despite being born into incredible privilege, white, male, in the 1970s, in the United States of America, for me, it was the hardest thing to do to shun all those other voices and focus. So imagine if you come from a disenfranchised or difficult background, how much even harder it would be to shun all those visions and plans that everyone else has for you or narratives that they've made up. So if it was hard for me, it's got to be extra hard for others Holy smokes. This is, you know what? Let me say something here. Please do. I talk to a lot of people about the others. I want to talk Mm -hmm. to you about you. I want to Mm -hmm. talk to you about how, because, you know, for every conversation or every five conversations I have about underrepresented people, I have conversations with straight white men who say, Hey, let me tell you how it wasn't so easy. So that's, it's, it's exciting to me to have that conversation because you, people don't really talk about it as upfront. So I'd love to hear directly about right. your experience. You kind of just reminded me though of uh, Sandra O. Oh. Sandra O oh said, uh, well, you know, especially a couple of years ago when she was, she couldn't turn any way without seeing her face. She said her parents were so disappointed when she got into acting. And then now she's a, an Emmy winning star of a show that everybody loves. So when you set out to do that, that yep. was early in your earlier in your life. Yes. Talk a little bit about how it felt to make the decision mm. and then how, what did you do next once you knew you needed to go in the different direction? So, you know, go back to this, this idea of the prescription. And I think it comes from a good place because people want the people that they love. And this is part of what makes it hard, regardless of your background, is it you're getting this message largely from people you care deeply about. And as a younger person, usually from people you're senior. And there's a terrible conflict. But what they're coming from is what worked for them or the generation before them, or what mm-hmm. was drilled into their head, their parents. And let's face it, the world is changing and it's changing at an ever faster pace. So not only are is, is it quite likely that the information you're getting is outdated, but it's not you. Culture is an, it's a culture of averages. It's about average experiences and a path that's safe for most people. And I would argue by contrast that it is the riskiest time in the history of the world to play it safe because Mm -hmm. what's safe is, is someone else's vision for this one precious life. And you aren't an average. An average by definition is you take a bunch of things, you add the number of things and divide by how many there are in the set. You are one. So there's nothing to divide by. You are your own unique person and it's your job in life. In fact, your number one job 
to find out who you are, what you want to be in the world. How do you want to act? What do you want to represent? How do you, who do you want to become? And that is not what we're taught. We're taught to look to all these other places. So we end up either pleasing people and going down this, what was historically thought as safe job, career, friends, peers, spouses, partners, And what we really ought to be doing is uncovering this precious one in a one in three trillion that we are on this planet. And that's a very hard thing to do amidst all this inbound, regardless of socioeconomic status, regardless of background. And for me, I was a people pleaser. Mm. Um, We're social animals, whether we like it or not. And whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, the human species is socially connected. We are currently right now in a pandemic where we aren't able to get together and there's a lot of stress. There's a lot of underlying inertia that is unhelpful to our condition because we're social animals. So if you start going against the tribe, it hurts. It's hard. The system is by definition meant to provide the easiest path for the most people who want to walk down the middle. So if you find yourself outside of that, it's automatically hard, but here's the kicker. That's where all the best stuff in life is. And once you taste that, it's very hard to go back. And once you realize that where the best stuff is, is on the other side of fears, on the other side of disappointing people, that's when most people that that I know, that I've experienced in my life and for the people that I've had on my podcast and on Creative Live, they went there and that's where the best stuff in life is. Through Creative Live, which a lot of people may recognize already the name, you have been able to talk to, what would it be? Would it be hundreds, thousands of people, like creative yeah. people or successful? Well, yeah, certainly. Um, you know, my podcast, the Chase Jarvis Live Show has been going on for 11 years. And, you know, I've mentioned earlier in the show already, a, you know, a handful of names have been on the show. People of that caliber from so many different walks of life, from creativity and entrepreneurship, spiritual leaders, sports athletes, musicians, rock stars, and everything in between. And then Creative Live, there's more that's very, very curated. So there's about a thousand teachers on that platform that have that sort of same level of accolade. And in deconstructing my own successes and failures... You know, when I, when I struck out on my own and try and figure this life out, I started like, well, what, what, what works for me and what doesn't? And in throughout the podcast and of course with Creative Live, where we have to work so closely with so many of these huge name teachers and experts and best-selling authors and Grammy and Pulitzer winners, this pattern emerges. And it's the pattern that I'm sharing with you here, that there's this recognition that, wait a minute, the system doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. And what I think is so ironic is the people that we end up celebrating in our culture are the people who are willing to stand out. You know, you can't both stand out and fit in at the same time. <laughs> this is the, the dilemma of the modern era, right? Is like everybody, like we want to do our own thing, but we're scared because doing so puts puts us out there. And that's a, you know, seen as a risky thing to do. So to directly answer your question, thousands of people have had the opportunity to be very, very close with even, you know, beyond just the podcast and on Creative Live, I call a lot of these people, my, my close friends. And there's just a very clear pattern of being willing to disappoint people who you respect and admire and appreciate. And that's what's hard about it, right? These are not jerks across the street or some hater on the internet. This is your mom. Yeah. So what did you do then? So what, what steps did you take? I mean, you say that you are, we've of course in the intro said that you were, you are a very um, successful photographer. 
how do you go from, okay, I'm going <laughs> to be a professional doctor. soccer player <laughs> to I'm going to, now I'm going to be a doctor now. And now I'm going to be a photographer. Like talk, walk me through a little bit of that. Oh, well, I think it's really important to share that this is not a straight path. This is not a straight line. And my hope in sharing that is that you will understand and identify and not feel alone that you're some sort of, because everyone who's listening or watching right now is in some way experienced the same thing. We just don't have a good name for it or we're not talking about it very, very much culturally, but you felt this, you felt disconnected. You felt like you're not a part of the tribe in pursuing the thing that you really want, that deep, dark secret that's down in here that you don't share. There's pain. And I felt all of those things. And I, to maybe to an alarming degree, to a degree of burning years of my life, trying to impress and be welcomed and appreciated by people that I really cared about and who cared about me. Uh, I got very sick, un, un, very unhealthy. I was a hundred thousand dollars in debt. And so for anyone who's sitting in that position right now, and I know there's a lot, in fact, I would say most are not doing the thing they were put on this planet to do and have found themselves unhappy, disappointed, disenfranchised, disconnected, and probably in debt and maybe even unhealthy because of it, it's never too late. Even if the thing that you want is 10,000 hours away, you've heard that from Malcolm Gladwell and so many others, even if the, the vision that you have is 10,000 or 20,000, whether that's to be a professional athlete, an entrepreneur, and it's, you know, so many of the people that are in the bookshelf behind you, you know, they've all come to this realization. You might be 10,000 hours away, but here's the really cool thing. Don't be discouraged by that 10,000 hours because you're only one decision away from an entirely different life. To me, that is so powerful. And let's face it, there are a lot of people who have uh, are underrepresented and come from disadvantaged backgrounds, are stuck. But to be clear, you have the capacity, you have the ability to live this one precious life that we have to 11 on your terms. That's right. You said something a little bit ago that I wanted to make sure everybody heard. You said, right now, is the riskiest time to play it safe. I thought that was a really interesting play on words. I'm assuming you're saying because of the COVID situation, because everything is different overnight and will be for forever. You think that some people are, are afraid that they need to play it as safe as possible so they don't rock the boat at all? Yeah. And if, that's, so yeah. why is it the, the, hard, the riskiest time to play it safe? People talked about going back to normal. The normal as we knew it was totally messed up, full of inequity, full of a lot of not helpful stuff. Mm. Just by nature of being human and wanting stasis and simplicity, it's in our DNA. We want to run back to what it was, the normal, but that normal has gone and it's gone forever. And you can either lament that, grieve it, and I'm suggesting that that might be a thing you need and might be very healthy for you to do. I do not want you to stuff it down and ignore it and pretend it's not there, but we do need to change. And right now we're sitting at an amazing inflection point. And I look at the most valuable thing, like what in our existence, what in our, in my human being, in you, what is the number one tool that will get you to this next chapter, to a new normal, one that you respect and admire and appreciate, and most importantly, can create, what is the thing? It's creativity. 
Mm-hmm. Now, we were taught in school that creativity is popsicle sticks and pipe cleaners and glitter, you know, and it's something we do for 30 minutes until we're in the eighth grade and then we don't do it that much. And then, oh man, I'd love to do that right now. It's <laughs> Ooh, yes. But we're taught it's we're taught somehow that you know pursuing creativity is whimsical and playful and joyful and that it's somehow we should be doing something besides it. It's never mm-hmm. quite clear what we should be doing, like trading stocks or um, <laughs> but the reality is that creativity is the most practical thing on the planet. The most practical look around for just a second, Arlen. Mm-hmm. Everything behind you, everything in front of you, to your left, to your right, the things you're sitting on, touching, looking at. They were all created. They were all built, designed, envisioned by somebody, probably somebody no smarter and more, no more talented than you are who's listening and watching right now. Once you realize that creativity is not popsicle sticks or not even just art, art's a great rendition of creativity, but it's a subset. Creativity with a capital C, what I'm talking about, is creating like literally everything around you is created. And if you believe as, you know, the three key principles I cover in creative calling, one, everyone's creative. Thing two is creativity is a muscle. And like every other muscle, the more you use it, the stronger you get. And I think Maya Angelou says it best. She says, creativity is an infinite resource. The more you use, the more you get. So if you believe one, everyone's creative. If you believe two, especially creativity with a capital C, not everybody is an artiste but everyone is creative. Just walk into any first grade classroom, right? Say, who wants to come to the front of the room and draw me a picture? doesn't matter your skill level. You hand is in the air and every kid wants to come to the front of the room and draw a picture. So just use that anecdotally. Everyone's creative. Two, creativity is a muscle. And three, here's the, the kicker that really ties into our conversation right now. It's, it's that by creating and being aware of creating in small, regular ways, this conversation right now, we're co-creating whatever you're going to make for dinner tonight. That's creativity. The book that you're working on in the off hours, the presentation that you're making for work, when you're consciously creating, not only are you creating those small daily things, the projects, the meal, this conversation, but you're actually creating your life. Your life is just the sum of the parts. So you might as well start creating parts that you like. And to me, everyone that you look up to, when I've, again, deconstructed all these people in my own experiences, the people who I respect and admire and look up to and like, wow, they've achieved so much and they are so fulfilled and happy. And they are aware that they are creating this experience on this world. They're not, they're not a cork in the tide. They take agency over their life. And to me, that is such an exciting and profound understanding of creativity. That's much bigger than the definition of creativity that we were all sent to school with. Right. Mm. So I would argue that everyone who's listening, if you start to acknowledge this creativity in small, playful, easy ways, this is not, you do not have to quit work, wear a beret and move to Paris and become an oil painter and smoke the cigarette. Like that's not creativity. <laughs> you don't have to know new friends, no, nothing. You can start creating right now. And once you do that, you start to feel limitless power that will help you understand and do the work yourself to create the living and the life that you want for yourself. Hi, this is Arlen Hamilton, author of It's About Damn Time, How to Turn Being Underestimated into Your Greatest Advantage. And you're listening to Women in Tech. 
I feel so grateful I've had the privilege of getting an advanced copy of Arlen Hamilton's new book, It's About Dan Time. She is one of the most inspiring venture capitalists I've ever come across. Her story from having absolutely nothing and being completely broke to being one of the most influential venture capitalists in the world blows my mind. And her book is insanely well-written. Right when I picked it up, I didn't want to put it down. She teaches me and us how to become the asset how to be our best selves, and how to be a person that not only creates opportunity for ourselves, but creates an abundance of opportunity for others. I'm so proud to share her book with you, and I hope you'll pick it up, and I know for sure you'll be just as riveted as I was with each page you turn. Get It's About Damn Time at itsaboutdamntime.com. I mean, I have to agree. I have eight sections in my book. It's about damn time. One full section is creativity. Mm -hmm. It's a different way of saying it, hacking. Mm -hmm. Uh, Speaking of people you look up to, people who are creative, and then also people who are creative in an entrepreneurial way. Mm -hmm. You, I think you know, someone who I have had as a hero, a business hero for most of my life, Richard Branson. Yeah. Yeah. Richard's a friend. Yeah. Can you talk about how that happened? Is it, is it correlated with creative live? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. What that relationship has been like. Sure. Well, first of all, Sir Richard embodies so many of these qualities that we've been talking about, not just ambition or not just successful, but also fulfilled. Right. And, and success without fulfillment is, you know, the closest thing to hell I could think of. Like you've checked all the boxes, but you're not having any fun. You don't have any friends. You're not connected. Like that's lack of fulfillment, but success is terrible. And Richard is not that he has this amazing balance. And just from a very young age, he was, um, I just know a little, little bit of backstory. He's an investor in creative live. I can get to that story in just a second, but he was uh, dyslexic as a young person. And so the traditional school system didn't fit for him. And there's so many kids and people in our system that who have dyslexia or another analogous condition for whom the system is not designed. And Richard was one of those things. And what he did, you know, largely inspired by his mom or mom, as they say in the UK, (laughs) um, was inspired to create a student newspaper slash magazine and, start to make things. He did a record label. He did an airline. He did, and now some 400 companies later, 400 and, you know, several billion dollars, he has become a shining icon of entrepreneurship and in doing it your way and doing good along the way, you know, with Virgin Unite and a number of other charities that he gives his time to. So I originally met Sir Richard. It's actually, the story is chronicled in the book. One of my investors, we we took some investment from some folks in the UK and I got invited to this, you know, I didn't know much about it. It was called the Founders Forum. I would call it a kind of a fancy conference. And I knew it was fancy because I read some of the guest speakers. I'm like, oh, wow, geez, like I'm the dirtbaggiest of the dirtbag that got invited. <laughs> and I'm seated between Richard Branson and Peter Gabriel. Peter okay, Gabriel. So, and I'm like, I think I'm having in the wrong place. I think they don't know about me. But it ended up being, you know, just some nice casual conversation. And a lot of people who would be in my position, like, oh, my gosh, you're sitting there. You chew this person's ear off. You're trying to sell them everything and get them. I just played it as cool as I could. And we were there for a couple of days. And so 
Lo and behold, a little bit later in the trip or a little bit later in the conference, I had a chance to met another person and that person happens to be the person who ran Richard's Investments Mm -hmm. and met another person who happened to, you know, just basically built out a little rapport and short story too long to cut to the chase, boom, 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 we ended up, um, <laughs> we ended up connecting and spending a little time talk. Obviously he found out we were, was a you know, fast growing startup at creative live that we had raised our series a and we're approaching raising our B and he had inquired whether it'd be possible for him to be a part of the investment. And it was really cool to be in and around it long enough for him to hear about it and for his investor to ask us rather than for me to mm-hmm. pitch, pitch mm-hmm. them. And because it fit perfectly with his ethos. If you think about it, creativity, entrepreneurship, providing education largely for free or super cheap, it just aligned with his values. And the story goes into detail in the book. In short, we've become friends. I consider him a mentor. He's given me a lot of advice along the way. And it's a great example of when you think of an entrepreneur, someone who has come from not much and figured it out. It's fun to hear those stories because they remind Mm -hmm. us that it's possible. Well, it's in the book and I think that's worth the price of admission to begin with. And you have a a ebook special happening (laughs) because (laughs) people listen to this right now and they want to go read that chapter. It's crazy. Find it. Two dollars and 99 cents. Yeah. This is like a $30 book. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And I'm very proud to um, the great publisher crown and a great um, acquiring editor there Hollis, who helped me work with the, all the top retailers, Amazon and Apple and BNN and a bunch of the indie stores um, to make the ebook Two ninety nine. Let's face it. This is these are crazy times, mm-hmm. especially financially. So much uncertainty. So many people are really, really struggling. And what I believe, what we need more than ever is creativity. Yeah. And so my ask of the publisher and their, thankfully, they were so supportive, was like, let's make this book so irresistibly affordable that mm-hmm. truly anyone can have access and try and take the barriers that we can have. You know, again, physical books are slower to be delivered. Although I will say that we got them to put the hardback down to $14.49 for this week. So yeah, when great. you were listening to it, you have a very small window to go check it out. But yeah, just anywhere that books are sold, eBooks where you get them at Apple or BNN or, or uh, Amazon. Let's talk about Creative Live because this podcast, Your First Million, the podcast version, and again, students will get to see the exclusive video. The first million is, I'm assuming, dollars, but it sounds like to me the bigger story here is the fact that you have millions of people on Creative Live checking it out. So how did Creative Live start? What is that origin story in a nutshell? Because I know you've had to tell it a thousand times. So whatever's comfortable for you. Cool. I'll tell an abbreviated version and then there's a lot of it in the book. The ups and the downs, because I think yeah. it's really important to share our, our big failures. But uh, I guess the short version that I had when I disappointed everyone and, and pursued a career in photography, as we talked about earlier, when you're doing the thing you're supposed to be doing, you really come alive. Things that are hard for others in that same world become easier for you. There's just an energy. It's almost, I call it like the tractor beam. It's like pulling you along mm-hmm. as opposed to pushing a rock up the hill, so many other things that we can feel. And so I found and created success for myself rather easily in a really short amount of time when I finally decided to pursue photography. And I made my way to the top, I don't know, two or three handful, handful, just say that, of the top commercial photographers in the world shooting at campaigns for for Nike and Apple and Red Bull and, you know, whatever Fortune 100 brand you can name, I've probably shot a campaign or directed a commercial for them. And that provided a lot of value. And at some point, um, I was shooting a 
commercial in Alaska, a Nike commercial. And I was caught in an avalanche and without going into the painful details, um, cause sometimes I really get emotional about it just still today because I, I basically came within a whispers distance of death. And I think sometimes avalanches are glorified. They're, they shouldn't be at all. They're terrifying. It's and, terrifying. Um, yeah. and the, the flip side, the positive is that I emerged with my life after survived this horrible avalanche. And I'll never forget it. This, the night of the avalanche of surviving the avalanche, I was lying in my bed in Alaska, staring at the ceiling. It's like three in the morning, obviously can't sleep because you know, there's these emotions. And I just had a realization that so much of becoming, it's said that there are sort of two arcs in, in many lives. The first arc is about acquisition. It's about acquiring skills, acquiring friends, knowledge, so many things. And for a subset of people, that life takes on a second arc and that second arc can be about giving. And I had achieved all of the dreams again, making absurd money, traveling 250,000 miles a year and on other people's money and private jets and all, whatever you think of uh, one of the most successful photographers in the world's lifestyle might be, it's actually better than you can imagine. Wow. And like I was happy at the time heading into that avalanche, but what I had realized was that it was all about me. It was egocentric because you can't, to, if you don't celebrate yourself, you don't celebrate your wins. If you're not pushing your, your brand, your face, your photography, whatever it is you're selling, it's very hard to stand out in a, in a crowded, noisy place. So I had spent, you know, the better part of 10 to 15 years doing that. And I realized in that moment, staring at the ceiling in Alaska, that I was tired of it. And what if, if I could give a gift, if I could have a legacy, what might it be? And so I started deconstructing what the best experiences in my life would be and how I could give someone not just a fish, but teach them to fish. And for me, it was this path toward creativity. So I realized that what I'd been living the thing, what I wanted to do was make some tools for other people that would help them experience that amazing thing that I had experienced, which was to tap into the gift that we have to create as humans. So I started off originally with um, making tools that were apps. So in 2009, I made the first iPhone app that was called Best Camera. Uh, it was the first iPhone app rather to share photos to social networks. Sounds crazy and obvious now, but it was the first one. And it became the app of the year in the iTunes platform, millions of downloads. And um, it well, was... Let's clarify, know, let's clarify that again. So okay. you made the first app that shared... Photos to photos. social networks. Got it. Got it got was it. the first photographic social network. Yeah. Put bluntly, Instagram is a lift and stamp copy of what I created in 2009. It was the best app of the year in the Apple platform and it helped kick off the global photo sharing craze. Obviously I was a photographer and I just had this desire to show, you can read the book. So you do some great, you do some great, I'm going to just pause just for a second because you do some great iPhone photography. Mm. I don't know if you saw this or not, but I did some myself. Ooh. I'm going to see if I can grab one. They're like large. So just <laughs> do it. I'm going to flash everybody. <laughs> That's right. So, check, so I did a, I did one of my, I did a few of my wife and then I did one, I did a few self portraits. This is on an iPhone. Wow. And then I don't know if you can see, but I got him blown up because the clarity was so amazing. IPhone amazing. So for all you listening on the podcast, you're not really getting this, but I'll, I'll, put, the, I'll put it up on a link up. Oh, man. What a stunning image. 
And I did a few of these in the same series, uh, not on purpose. I, I didn't think I was going to get these type of results. Everyone is wildly creative. Isn't that, that, isn't is, that crazy? Yeah, that I've crazy? Got, I got a, a saying that I, I popularized. It goes like this. The best camera is the one that's with you. Mm, mm-hmm. And for the last 80 years prior to us having a phone in our pocket, the best camera was usually back at our house and it was usually big and heavy and expensive. And so exactly. you either didn't have it or it wasn't with you. So this idea that the best camera is the one that's with you. And that was a title of my previous book. It was the first book of iPhone photographs. Um, Check that was, out. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's OG. I mean, this is like 2009 stuff with iPhone yeah. one. So, I, want to see- so I, yeah, and I didn't want to take you out because this, so you're, you're a 2009, you've, you've put this app out, you put a yeah. book out, you've done these different things. And, you and you're are, trying to get me to creative live. I get it. <laughs> I, I am for sure uh, okay. because of time, but also because sure. I'm just, I really want to know the story. Okay. okay <laughs> and I know good. that our listeners do too. No, it's, it's, they're related. And that's why I can't really get to creative live without talking about this. Yeah. Um, ultimately, again, in pure transparency and vulnerability, my, what was for sure my biggest success. I mean, yes, Instagram sold to Facebook. They didn't buy best camera for a billion dollars. They bought Instagram, but Mm. I'm widely credited with help kicking off that global photo sharing craze. Again, it was the first social network of photos and the process of using technology to start to scale creativity was a huge eye opener for me. And again, it went from, Oh, I'm making this for me and my photographer friends to app of the year on iTunes and the platform. So yeah, it was amazing. Right. And I'm thinking, who am I to do this? And I would just remind you, if not you, who, and if not now, when, I think I heard somebody else say that you said that before. (laughs) And someone, and so I found myself uh, having created that and it was amazing. And there were so many virtues, but it was also my biggest failure because when Instagram was sold to Facebook for a billion dollars, I was definitely devastated. There's a a whole chronology that will explain why and how that happened, which I think is, is a bit of a thriller in its own right. And that's in the book as well. But if you fast forward a little bit, it was that experience of technology scaling creativity that, and the experience of, you know, having a company that was, you know, an app that was used by millions of people. And at that time, the apps were, you know, four bucks or three bucks or something. Mm-hmm. So I, I did well financially, despite the lawsuits for, with my developer that are chronicled everywhere on the internet, it was a success in some ways, but it's like, I don't know if anybody listening has lost a billion dollars. <laughs> it's, it's a little bit of a kick in the shins. Yeah. But it also, it gave me the experience, the experience of having venture capital chase you, of having publicly traded companies want to buy your thing, the experience of truly playing in a technological global environment. Before it was, I was on a global stage, but it was in photography. Now this was technology and it was the technology that was enabling creativity. So it was, I found myself in a sweet spot. All of the things that went horribly wrong with the best camera went right with Creative Live. Mm. And so in 2010, just a few months, six months after developing Best Camera, launched Creative Live from a grimy little warehouse in South Seattle. It was about 400 square feet. Myself and my partner put a a class on the internet, a photography class, and 50,000 people showed up to watch it. Whoa. Yeah. And you go back to 2009, and then we did a class a month later. So first of all, that blew us away. 
in reality, I had been building a community around the best camera and my work as a photographer um, and a storyteller. I mean, I had a full-time video person following me around in 2005. It's, it's trendy to, to have that now, yeah. but I, I had that in 2005 and it was about telling stories along the journey of what it was like to do this. Our second class had 100,000 people in it. And our third class in our fourth month of existence was the largest class in the history of the world, had 150,000 people. Most people have read about the Stanford AI class that had 130,000 people. And when that came out, the New York Times was like, it's the biggest class ever. I'm like, what am I, chop liver? You can't catch a break, yeah, man. <laughs> But it just helped me understand so much. And then we went from six days from a nice to meet to a signed term sheet with Greylock and had a very quick $8 million A, a $25 million B and another $25 million extension on that B. So we've raised about 60 million bucks um, from super tier one uh, investors, Greylock, Social Capital, Comcast, Sir Richard. We got a lot of great angels, uh, Tim Ferriss, Jared Leto, just a bunch. And my experience, I couldn't have created Creative Live with my partner and the hundreds of people who are committed to that company every day without having had my biggest failure. So yeah. again, there's a silver lining to this. Yeah. And that's the the origin story. You got a little more than you bargained for there. But yeah, I love um, it. I there's love some that. texture in there. If you read the details in the book, <laughs> we yes, chronicle I love it. it. Hey, it's Arlen. Just a quick note. I just put up some brand new classes on my online academy. Go to arlenwashere.teachable.com slash courses, C-O-U-R-S-E-S, courses. If you go to that URL, you'll see brand new courses starting at $25 and on up. And come closer. Let me tell you a little secret, a little secret. I've added one-on-one consulting what? How does she find the time? You got to check it out. I'll see you there. And can we talk about the some stats from from Creative Live, just sure. so people who are not familiar, sure, understand sure, how intense it is. So, yeah, a, how many? You say you have about a thousand teachers on there. Yes, highly how many, curated. How many classes? So, is that about a thousand classes? It's about two thousand and change. 2000 classes. And then how many people in a day, I know you can't give away too many trade secrets, but how many people in a, what, what metrics do you share? Sure. Um, Some metrics we share are the amount of content that are, is consumed for free because we have a product that 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you can go there and get really high quality free content. We're always, yeah, all day long, 24 hours a day, we're picking select classes and we're streaming them for free. It might not be the class you want, but it's a way to see who we are and what we do and hear from some of these luminaries. And we do that 24 seven and anyone in the world can go there right now and watch it on, you know, up at our classes on, on air. And we have given away billions and billions and billions. I don't know how many billions I lost track, but we start hitting the B numbers, uh, billions and billions and billions of minutes of free learning. Uh, we reach every country on the planet every month. We like to just say tens of millions of people use the platform and have several million people registered that are active on the platform. So crazy. again, I'm a weird little goofy kid who wore big foghorn leghorn glasses when I was young. I, found my break as a photographer shooting myself and my friends skateboarding and surfing and skiing and snowboarding and how it, it landed me 
in the places that I've had the good fortune of landing in and how it's drugged me through some of the most painful experiences, my own near death, the death of several people close to me in another incident. And life is crazy and strange. And I just go back to like, I'm living proof that you can make so many mistakes along the way. Again, hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt absolutely did the path you shouldn't do. And, and here I am. So if I can sort of trudge through that, so can you. And you said before on this, in this interview that um, success without fulfillment was the closest thing to like hell to you. Mm-hmm. Are you, do you feel fulfilled with this? So fulfilled and, and go back to that evening in Alaska, staring at the, at the ceiling. I was happy before. I just don't know if I was fulfilled. And when I started again, in the face of death, I'm trying to get us to not have to have these huge life and death moments to get to think about who we are, what we want to be and become. Sure, you can put yourself in that situation. For for those people who've been through that, it's an easier decision to make on the other side of that experience. But I found myself realizing that I was living the dream on paper and maybe even psychologically and emotionally, I felt on top of the world and yet there was something huge missing. And that huge thing that was missing was the ego part of me that was holding this experience for myself and those very, very close to me. When in reality, the most important thing I I realized that I could be doing is helping other people tap into this thing because it had given me so much. And the cost for this thing was free. It was inside me already. All I had to do was listen for it, be honest with myself, and then take a step. Not run a race, not take a thousand steps because you're not going to see the whole picture, right? you're going to see the next step and just the willingness to take that step and be uncomfortable and be uncertain and then take another step. When you take these steps towards the thing, towards your calling, something magical happens. And if I could help people uncover that through online videos and free learning and apps and for very, very, very cheap or free, to me, that was what fulfillment could feel like. And as soon as I started on that endeavor, Mm. just like it it worked and it clicked. Yeah. And it clicked, not just with the market and it clicked, not just, and a lot of things were not overnight. They were hard, you know, multi-year grinds, but you know, when it's working, the cool thing about this experience of this feeling, you asked earlier about a feeling, which is what I really value is you have felt this before. Whoever's listening and watching right now, you felt what it feels like whether it was just for an hour or maybe a week or a season of your life or a sports season or a performance or something, you felt what it felt felt like to be so alive. That is available for you. Not all the time, but a huge chunk of your time can be spent in that, in that feeling, in that existence. But it requires making a lot of hard decisions, disappointing a lot of people who care deeply about you in order to not just create success, but to create success and fulfillment. It's there for you. Well, this has been wonderful. I I have another wrap-up question. That was my wrap-up, but you just reminded me of something. All right. Some of the people that you disappointed, what do they think now? Jeez, how'd you do that? (laughs) (laughs) You're like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that's the, you know, again, there's so many right now I can hear the excuses and a lot of them are valid you know, I have three kids, I have a mortgage, I'm working three jobs and I'm barely getting by. And all, all, all. I understand that. I'm aware of it. I've experienced a lot of it. Not all of it. Not, there's a lot of things. I, again, we went back to go back to privilege, right? I have 
a true belief that you are way closer than you think you are to the thing you want. You have to understand what it is that you want. You have to listen very closely because this is not like someone with a megaphone standing in your ear going, dear Chase, what you need to do next is it's like a little whisper and it's far in the distance. And it's that thing you did when you were in 11th grade and it was kind of cool. And you thought, man, what if I can just do this? I mean, I made a film when I was seven years old and I remember, and we, we shot the, we, we washed cars to raise the money to buy the film and we paid the cameraman a dollar and we made a film, we bought candy and screened it in my friend, David Trollson's basement. And we made a profit and I have seven. Yeah. And I remember thinking like, I'm not even, this is like straight up truth. I remember thinking that was pretty easy. Maybe I could just do that over and over and over and what a great life it would be. And the irony is, you know, however many years later and how many paths I trotted down in pursuit of other people's vision for me only to come back ultimately to that, that young seven year old part of myself. And I believe if you're listening or watching that you have one of those things, you have a moment or maybe several moments, and maybe there's several things that you could be this happy doing or pursuing, but you have, you can't think your way to it. I'm an advocate of action over intellect. If you sit on the couch and try and think of the perfect thing, you're going to be on the couch for a long time because that, that paralysis through analysis that you've heard about, I want you to get close. Like, could you throw a dart in the direction of a thing? And then I want to show you, I want you to start pursuing it. Does it feel good? Does it feel hard? Does it feel easy? Does it feel joyful? Mm-hmm. What does it feel like? You know, I, that's, again, I, I resonated so deeply Arlen, with what you said about, you know, how did it feel? And that is, you don't have to see the whole staircase. You just have to see the first couple steps and you have to walk your path. If people want to know how to continue hearing from you and, and getting this like inspiration from you, where do they find you? Uh, well, we already covered it, right? Creative Calling is now $2.99 for this week. Um, it's a great primer. Creative Live is just creativelive.com. And there's free content 24-7 there. You can hear from a lot of the people that we've named during the show. Um, there's podcasts on there with Arlen. Yeah, um, one of my favorites, actually. You And All Access Creator Pass is... We, we vary the price, but you can find it as low as 150 bucks yeah. to get access to 12,000 hours of the kind of content that we're talking about here. And this is, it's not just random. This is like curated and it's we made it full on. Yeah. We made it, it all in house, four to eight cameras, all in HD, all with the world, with Pulitzer Prize winners, New York Times bestsellers. So those are a couple of the places I'd see. And I'm just at Chase Jarvis on all of the social stuff. I got folks at uh, on YouTube and Insta and Twitter. Facebook, all those places, you can just find me at at Chase Jarvis. Great. Well, I hope everybody does check you out more because this is you in 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 one hour. I can't imagine. (laughs) You know, I can't imagine because I am both a member of Creative Live. I mentioned that in my last episode, and uh, you know, I've had the honor and and the joy of being your friend for for a little bit here. Um, Thank you so much for this. This is going to help so many people. I just know thank it. I already can tell. This thank you so much for having me on your first million. I was so excited. I remember when you landed both the podcast deal and the book deal, like, yeah. you know, two weeks apart or something like yeah. that. Yeah. That was, uh, we got together in LA. I was so excited for you. And, you know, I, I just want to recognize for a second, the work that you've done, not just with backstage, but here in the, you know, the podcast, thank the you. book, it's just like, you're a force of nature. I'm proud to call you my friend. I love what you're doing. Love being on the show. It's just been a treat. So thank you, thank you very so much, much for having me. Thank you.
it's Arlen. Thanks for listening to this episode. So I would love to keep up with you online. You can find me at Arlen was here on Instagram and on Twitter. That's A-R-L-A-N was here. I cannot wait to continue this conversation with you. Your First Million is produced by Anna Aikinawa, executive producer Arlen Hamilton, associate producer Chacho Valadez. 